Alright, so this semester we are going through relationships, dating, marriage, sexuality, all that sort of things, because forever people have wondered, how do we do this stuff? Um, I didn't come with an instruction manual, I don't know how to talk to people uh, about dating, I don't know how to ask someone out, I don't know how to go on a date with someone, people have always wondered that, but especially I feel like after covid um, and you were like in your parents' house or in your apartment for like two years, and it was hard to meet people. Like especially now in that time, the muscles that you should have developed to to figure out how to date and be with people just didn't get developed. And so we're trying to help give you some ideas of how do we go forward on that, or how do we think about this, or how do we uh, approach someone that we're interested in dating or asking out. And so. That's where we're covering this. And the last few weeks, uh, I covered uh, how, to, how to date. I did that in a two-part deal. Last week, I covered how to break up, which is an important thing. This week, I want to talk about your relationship to singleness and how to think about being single because that's part of the deal too, right? So this is what I'm going to do. I want you to follow along with me while I read uh, from the bulletin, First Corinthians here. And uh, in case you don't know, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote to a church in ancient Greece. And it's, it's funny that singleness is actually one of the few topics that the Bible does actually specifically talk about um, when we think about dating and marriage. So let's dive in. This is Paul speaking to a church. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And then skipping a few verses down. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Um, Father, I do pray that you would guide us in the words uh, that Paul has given us tonight. Um, Lord, that we would think concretely about what does it mean to be single. What does it mean to long for a relationship with another person? And what does it mean that you're in the middle of that, um, that you haven't left us in it, but actually you're guiding us through this experience? Um, God, give us what we need tonight from you. May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, so uh, if you've ever seen the, the TV show The Office, uh, there's parts of it that are a little bit dated. If you go and watch some of the earlier episodes, there's phones or like flip old like Nokia flip phones, but it still holds true in a lot of ways. And one of the uh, one of the kind of tried and true part true parts of the office is that Jim is kind of the office prankster, and Dwight is the guy that Jim is constantly pranking. And at one point, uh, pretty quickly in the show, Jim and Pam start to date, and Pam, because she's dating Jim, thinks, "Wouldn't it be hilarious if I also pulled a prank on Dwight?" And so what she does is she has Kevin go into the office elevator and mess around with all the controls on the elevator so that he switches everything in it. So that if you push up, it goes down. If you push down, it goes up. Third floor means fifth floor. All this kind of mix-up stuff. 
you see where this is going, right? And so she invites Dwight, uh, hey, I need you to come down with me to the, the lobby a few floors down, and we've got to do some paperwork or something like that. And he, he comes to the elevator, and he's got like one of those camelback, like drinking like packs on, which doesn't make any sense for any regular character because it's Dwight. Like it totally makes sense. You don't even think about it when you see it. But he's like sipping on this camelback, and she gets him to come in the elevator. She's like, oh, can you push the, the button for the lobby? And he pushes it, and instead of going down, it goes up. And he's like, oh, what is this? And then as it's moving them up, the whole elevator like stops, and it jerks, and suddenly they're stuck. And Pam is like, oh, no, I'm stuck in the elevator with Dwight. And Dwight immediately, because he's Dwight, turns to the corner and starts to pee into the corner of the elevator. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, we've got to establish a pee quarter. Like, <laughs> and that's when you realize, oh, he's been drinking water from his camelback for like hours probably. And she's freaking out. He's freaking out. The fire department come. Jim, uh, it flash forwards a few hours, I guess, and Jim is there, and he's like trying to talk Pam out of the elevator, but she's, she can't get out. She's completely stuck in it. She's trapped, and it's all her fault, and she is unable to even crawl on the floor and get out because there's pee all over the floor, and that's on her still, right? Um, I want to say that I think that in some ways – some of us feel like that's what singleness is like. And this is where I'm going to use that. <laughs> you feel like you're stuck in the single elevator with the weirdo. <laughs> and that it's your fault. Like, you did this to yourself. And you can't get out. And you're trapped. And you're stuck. And people who are dating are whole in a way that you are whole. They figured out something that you couldn't figure out. They got out of the elevator. They moved forward. You stayed behind. Their life has started. Your life hasn't begun. Some of us tend to think that, the, that our life doesn't really get started until we start to date or start to get married, that that's the real beginning of the journey of our life. And others of us want to delay dating as long as possible because that's not the beginning of the journey. That's the end of it. And the point of the journey is to do as much stuff and have as many experiences as you possibly can, to be free, as free relationally as you possibly can, because the end of the journey, you want to hold off for as long as you can. That you need to keep marriage and dating at bay. But look, the problem with both of these approaches is that both make romantic relationships either the end or the beginning of your life. And instead, what they are is a pointer to life with God. And because they're just a pointer, you don't have to love them. You don't have to fear them. You don't have to have them if you have God. That just because you're single doesn't mean you're stuck. It doesn't mean you're in some sort of deficit. It doesn't mean that your life hasn't begun. It is a time in your life. And maybe a long time in your life. But the Bible has something to say about it. So tonight, what I want to talk about is the reality of singleness and how it can be a part of this longer journey that we're on as we head towards God and towards one another. So what I want to talk about tonight is the myths of singleness. I want to talk about the gifts of singleness. I want to talk about the hope of singleness. The myths, the gifts, and the hope of singleness. What, look at what Paul says here. He says, I wish that all were as I am. Paul is a single guy. He's always been a single guy. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am, 
But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Look, like I said, we tend to think of the end goal of life as marriage. Marriage is for full people. Marriage is for whole people, for adults, for real people. Marriage is where you become the real you, is the way some of us think about it. It's where you experience deep, relational bliss. And singleness is the opposite, is the way that some of us think about it. In that mindset, marriage is everything. But that's not the way the Bible approaches it. Look, Paul says that singleness is actually a gift from God. He says that he wishes everyone could be like him. Somebody who is okay with being single. Someone who is okay with serving the church and being part of the world and advancing God's kingdom. But he's not saying that, gosh, being single makes you this like half person. But he's also saying that marriage doesn't make you a whole person. Both are opportunities to live a God-centered life. This is why Paul goes on and says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Someone who's not married is thinking in a single way, what does it mean for me to serve God if they're a Christian? Don't assume that everybody here is, but Paul is writing to a church. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. The person who's married is thinking about what does it mean for me to serve my spouse? What does it mean for me to take care of this family? What does it mean for me to watch over this person or be with this person? And Paul is saying somebody that's not married doesn't have that on their back. They can focus on other things. Look, Paul was single. Jesus was single. Both lived lives that were rich and full and meaningful. Uh, Maybe the biggest myth of singleness, I think, that we need corrected is that being single means that you're going to be like this relationally poor person. Right? Like, not assuming that everybody here is Christian, but if you are, then the role of the church, the role of a campus ministry in your life, should be a place of rich relationships that functions this big, beautiful family. But like every family's got its own dysfunctions, but it should be a family that embraces you, that helps you, that has fun with you. But there was a, a lady uh, who used to work for RUF named Paige Bitten Brown. She used to work in the staff role at Vanderbilt. And she didn't get married until I think her mid-30s. And so she had a lot of people asking her as she worked on a college campus, when are you getting married? Are you thinking about marriage? And she'd be like, yes, thinking about marriage, but I'm single in my 30s. It's all right. Uh, And she wrote this article because she's really, really smart called Singled Out for Good. And she let out some more myths about singleness. Listen to the way that she puts her finger on the problem here. That at heart, a lot of the ways that we think about stuff isn't just situational, it's also got a God aspect to it. So here's one myth. As soon as you're satisfied by God, he'll bring someone into your life. Like, okay, as though any of God's blessings were ever earned with your or I's contentment with God, right? Like, what if the requirement for you to get into college was as soon as you're satisfied with God, you get to go to college? Like, or you'll get a job as soon as you're satisfied with God. Like, God doesn't put those restrictions on anyone and there are tons of people who are not satisfied with them and who happen to be married, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. Before you can marry someone wonderful, God has to make you wonderful. Like as though marriage was this sort of second blessing where God grants to people who are kind of rightly sanctified or somebody who finally made it. Again, if this were the case, who would qualify? Like certainly not me. Like uh, here's another myth. You can avoid loneliness by getting married, or you can avoid loneliness by dating. 
But loneliness can be your experience in a relationship or it could be your experience out of a relationship. Everybody has a God-sized hole that needs to be filled. And what we tend to do with that is we fill it with substitutes for God. And one of the great substitutes for that is other people. But those people can't make you feel whole in the way that you want them to make you feel whole. That a lonely heart is just as big a problem in marriage and dating as it is in singleness. Dating or marriage is not the cure for loneliness. Um, I think some of us worry that the gift of singleness is actually a way for God to kind of pound you into like a Jesus person, right? Like where you look happy on the outside, but really you're kind of dying on the inside because this need isn't being met of yours. And you're looking around and like the really happy people, the really adult people are those who are living with their best friend. Maybe one day they're like they're living their life with this person, having babies with this person, they're selling down with this person. And it feels like God isn't going to be good to me. God's not really going to be good to me until he gives me this thing. I think that's the biggest myth of singleness I've ever seen. But the question you have to ask yourself is, can God be good to you as a single person on a Wednesday night in Howell Hall any more than he was good to you when he hung on a cross in your place? No. His goodness is not an effect of his disposition towards your situation. His goodness is an attribute of his person. It's inherent in who he is. Um, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, it's uh, C.S. Lewis, about these kids who go to this magical land. Uh, there's a section where these two girls, Lucy and Susan, are first learning about Aslan, this lion who's kind of the god standing figure. And Lucy comes to Mr. Beaver, who's an actual talking beaver because it's a fantasy land, and she starts to ask him a question. She says, is this Aslan a man? Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of our great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who's the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, and make no mistake, said Mr. Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Is God going to write your story in exactly the way you want him to write it? Is he that kind of safe? Not at all. But God cannot stop being good to you any more then you can change the color of your eyes. It is part of who he is. The person you want to date or the lack of does not have the power to make or break you. Only God has that power. And whether you're single or the way you're married, God is always at work in our lives, loving and blessing his people. So those that are singleness, or some of them, what's the gifts of singleness? Uh, go back to Paige Benton Brown. Uh, she's in her 30s. She's working in college ministry. So she's on a college campus all the time where people are thinking about dating and marriage. She's thinking about herself. She desires these things. She goes back to uh, a church near where she grew up, which is somewhere in the south. And there's a worship service. She's part of that. And then at the end of it, this older southern lady comes up to her. And she starts to talk to her. And she kind of pulls her aside. And she says, are you seeing anyone special? Right? As older Southern people 
have a website, right? Uh, and Paige looks at this lady and she says, sure, I see you. You're special, right? A little salty there. Uh, but what she's getting at is that every person you meet is significant. Every person you meet is special. And you don't have to wait for someone to date in order to spend your life caring for people who are important, people who matter, that all of our relationships are worth special attention. This is why Paul says he wants us to be free from worldly anxieties. Look, singleness done right can actually free you to be involved in all kinds of friendships, in all kinds of relationships with people that you would never be able to be involved in or have your kind of relational net cast over if you were tied up in a committed dating or one-day marriage relationship. Like, you just don't have the time or the capacity to invest in all these people. There's a freedom there that comes with it. Um, if you get married, there's a tremendous amount of energy that you have to spend on a spouse, right? Like, if there's something going on in your spouse's life, if they're hurting in some way, or if they're feeling some sort of deficit in their own life in some way, gosh, that's going to impact you. That's going to slow you down. That's going to decrease the amount of things that you can do. And Paul is aware of this. He says, look, there's all kinds of worldly anxieties with this stuff. I want you to be free of that. Like, you can be like me, he says, and you can just invest in people and have deep connections to other people. And it's not like those people don't matter. They matter incredibly. Like, singleness is not kind of a blank check for our selfishness. Where you can kind of do what you want to do. You're still called into, if you're a Christian, kingdom duty to love and serve people. And finding someone to date and one day marry is also not the countermeasure to our self-absorption. If anything, it will test it and make you change in some significant ways. Um, what I'm going to say is I think that self-centeredness is so much of what we're wrestling with as we think about our own singleness. That, gosh, all I can think about is myself. All I can think about is what I want. All I can think about is my needs and the ways I wish those needs were being met. But when you get into a relationship, it's not that that self-centeredness goes away. And being single actually gives you an opportunity to deal with, and what are the things I'm really wanting to get out of this person if I were to date this person? Like, am, am I in this relationship because I want to love them? Because I want to get to know them, because I want to be their friend, because I maybe want to serve them in a sacrificial way? Or am I in this relationship because it would make me feel better about me? It would make me feel like I am not empty, even though nobody can really make you do that? As though I were an adult, even though you're looking at someone else who's just as old as you or about as old as you, and making, telling them to make you an adult? As though that were possible? Like, what is it that you're trying to get out of these things? And could the gift of singleness be something that actually you can lean into and use to help people, to care for people, to come alongside of people and love them in a way that's good? Look, the end goal of the Christian life is not that everyone gets married and lives a nice upper middle class lifestyle. But the end goal of the Christian life is that you would know God, enjoy God, walk with God, follow God, and love people in the middle of that. That you'd be a blessing to those around you. And ultimately, when you left this world, it would be a better place because you spent time in it. And worked in it. And knew people in it. But maybe part of the reason that we try to return the gift of singleness 
is because if we don't have a larger vision of our lives, then anything besides marrying another person and pursuing our own personal fulfillment. But your range of relational options is not dating and marriage or living as a castaway on the moon. Like, there's more to your life than that. But there's this rich relational tapestry that you could have with the people that are right here. Where you're known, you're loved, you're cared for, you're giving love, you're giving care. Look, all the people in your life are special people. All of them matter. All of them are made in God's image. And that doesn't mean that you couldn't or shouldn't long to be married. But God is going to be good to you in your singleness if you get married. And he's going to be good to you if you die single at the age of 93. But he's called you to know him, to love him, to serve him in all of your relationships. And if you're a Christian, you're called to reach out to others and care for them in these ways. Um, There's a news story that I saw a few uh, years ago about this uh, family that went down to Panama City Beach, Florida, where we do summer conference. And this family was out at a day at the beach. And they get swept out into the riptide. There's like 12 people, uh, kids, mom, dad, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all of them. They got sucked out into the water. And this crowd of people started to gather around the beach where these folks were. And they're like, how are we going to save these folks? What are we going to do? And this lady who early in the day had picked up a boogie board out of a trash can and was now using the boogie board because she knows how to do the beach on the cheap. She grabs the boogie board and she runs out to the beach uh, to where this crowd was. She sees the people out there and she dives into the water. She's married. Her husband follows after her and he calls out to the people who are on the beach, grab my arm, and they create this human chain where the lady on the boogie board is grabbing the kids and the kids are getting passed on the chain to the beach and then come the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and the mom and the dad and they save this entire family just by linking arms and pulling these people out and saving them from drowning. And what's remarkable about that is that they did nothing more, any more special than reach out to the people who needed them. You're called to do the same thing. Like single or not, you're called to reach out to people who need you. Like that's your priority. All right, so what's the hope of singleness? Um... I got to see Hamilton live this summer at the DPAC in Durham. It was so good. Uh, I'd seen it on Disney Plus. It is way better in person than on Disney Plus, right? Uh, and I, I don't, if you've ever seen the, the, the musical, it's incredible. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Uh, but one of the early acts in it is Eliza gets to meet Alexander Hamilton. And as her sister was dazzling the room, Hamilton walked in and her heart went, boom, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just reading you lyrics here. It's, it's not me. Uh, but when Eliza looks into Hamilton's eyes, she feels like she's just falling into them. Like she, She's like, this is the guy. This is the man. And maybe you've had a moment like that too in your singleness where you feel like you make this point of connection and you wonder, gosh, do they feel the same? Luckily for Eliza, Hamilton does. And he says, if it takes fighting a war for us to meet, it will have been worth it. And you're like, dang, this guy, he's in, right? But as the plot unfolds, you see that their love gets tested in some really dramatic ways. And what felt like a leap 
for her into deep connection actually kind of stumbles into heartache. And at the end of it, Hamilton is asking for Eliza's forgiveness. It's this amazing, very relatable story. In her book, The Secular Creed, Rebecca McLaughlin says, if we take what the Bible says seriously, we'll see that when romantic love consumes our hearts, when it makes us feel helpless, when it fills us with such joy that we can't think about anything else, and when it crushes us so cruelly, we're lying in a pool of tears, and it's pointing us to something else. Look, your longing for love is one that would last forever. It's a romance that would smash through death like all the fairy tales say. It's love that if you miss it now, will devastate you for all eternity. Like what God is calling us into is to take the longings that we have in our singleness and to bring those to him. Look, this is why Jesus says in the Gospels that there is no human marriage in heaven. It's not that it's bad, but it's because it will have been fulfilled. That just as Jesus is a sacrificial lamb to end all the need of sacrifice, so is he the bridegroom who ends all need for human romance. Which is why Paul can have such a laissez-faire attitude about marriage. Like, get married, don't get married. One's got this kind of problems, other's got this kind of problems. He can say that because one day he knows that the reality to which marriage is going is pointing to is going to be fulfilled in your life whether you date or marry at all. And what I want to suggest to you is that though marriage won't save you, that if you will be saved, then you'll be saved by a marriage. Not an earthly one, but a heavenly one. That the way that Jesus saves his people is by marrying them. That God is going to bind himself to us in such a way that he won't be happy until we're happy and holy and satisfied and full with him. Look, the New Testament letter from Jude ends by talking about this kind of joy of God's marriage. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior. Whose joy is Jude talking about there? It's not just your joy, it's God's joy. Look, in that moment, when God puts a bow on history and wraps everything up, he will fill the universe with his laughter. He will sing love songs over his people. So much of what you long for in singleness is the answer to the question of, am I desired? Am I wanted? And God's answer to you in Jesus is yes. That in spite of taking my needs that are legitimate and working them out in illegitimate ways, through alcohol, through porn, through hooking up with people, through numbing myself with work. Like, in spite of all that, God looks at me and approaches me and loves me and desires me and wants me and sings over me. What you want in your singleness is someone to do that for you. What God is saying to you in Jesus is that I'm doing that right now. I'm after you. Like, you can be a source of joy. You are loved. And the work of community, especially the community of RUF, is to teach us in our relationships, whether single or not, that you're desired, that you're wanted. People know you. People love you. Somebody doesn't have to date you for that. You don't have to be in some sort of committed relationship with somebody for that. That's what friendship is for. That's what walking alongside of someone in a Bible study is for. 
Like that's what God is offering us to one another as he offers us himself in community. Here's my ending thought. There was never a more eligible bachelor than Jesus of Nazareth. He was humble, secretly very wealthy. He could do miracles, was incredibly wise, was the heir of a kingdom, and was even nice to his mom. He was a great guy. But his whole life he's single. Why is he single? Because he's waiting to buy back his bride. All of his wisdom, all of his poverty, all of his miracles, ultimately his suffering on the cross, are so that he can buy back his bride from what's enslaved her. From sin, from death, from addictions. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the chief single? Like that you serve a God who gets your longing for another person. That you serve a God who knows what it is for your heart to break over the fact that it doesn't feel like anyone's ever going to say yes to me. It feels like I just wait and I wait and I wait and I wait. God knows that because you're the answer to God's own longing for that person. But he died to bring you into fellowship with him. That he would be with you and you with him. But I want to end by just asking, is there a place in your life for understanding that you have a God that aches for another person? That you have a God who wants to marry you, who invites you, who desires you. The song that you were created to sing will never be completed until you can sing those notes. And it's upon him to cast all of our longings and our joys and our ultimate hopes. Because there is no other person that can bear that kind of weight. It's always that's my invitation to you. Amen. Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts to cast the longings that we have for deep relationship. Um, God, for our singleness, for someone to look at us and say yes to us. God, let us cast the longings of our hearts upon you in that. Lord, we have so many desires. We have so many things that we need and long for. It just feels like we're a bottomless hole at times. Um, God, fill us, help us, come to us, approach us. And Lord, set us free from ourselves to whether we're single or dating, whether one day we get married or not. God, that we'd be satisfied with you and enjoy you and love the people you put in our lives. In your good and perfect name we pray, amen.